right. Welcome back. Here we are. Here we are. <laughs> yes. In between. Science in between. I'm Ollie. I'm Scott. And and what that, episode? Was, that was an awkward introduction. I wish we could redo that, but no, it's in the show. No, it's in the show. It's there. It's done. It's 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 on tape now. <laughs> yes, it is. Yes, it is. Right. But on tape. <laughs> we can't go back. Go back to the vault. It's on right. tape. It's on tape. Uh, it's, this it's another perfect square. It is. So that would be thirty six. Look at you. I know, Mister Math. And you know what? Next time is. Yep, I sure do, but you're going to say it. Nope. Yeah, I, I'm going to hold off. I'm going to hold keep off. Keep your until, powder dry. Until next episode. Next episode, that's the first thing out of the gate. Yes, and this episode drops on Cinco de Mayo, right? Cinco is that what you said? So yeah. if you if you have a margarita in hand or have it nearby, you know, feel prepare, free. Prepare to celebrate an Americanized Mexican holiday. Yes, it's not enjoy. Even really, I mean, the Me- Mexican folks don't really care about Cinco de Mayo, do they? I don't, I don't know. I don't know. I don't, th- I don't think so. I think it's like a, I mean, I think it actually commemorates something. It's like a, a battle or something. I can look it up or put it in show notes or something, but it's not, um, it's not like 4th of July, right? Like, right. I don't know where we, well, this is my sense. I, okay. will, I will now do some, well, while, only... you, while you fill people's ear holes with beautiful knowledge, I'll do some internet searching and sure. find out about Cinco de Mayo. I, I, I don't... think that's what they tuned in for. So you're going to like do some Googling clickety clack. Clickety clack. That's nice. Yeah. And, and so this week we're talking about uh, design principles again around learning spaces. And uh, last week we talked about, what was the, what was the uh, design principle last week that we talked about? Well, uh, as I recall, it had something to do with <laughs> Scaffold- authentic practices. Scaffolding authentic practice. Scaffold- scaffolding authentic practice. We cannot forget the scaffolding part of that because that no. was a big part of the conversation no. last week. That was and your I- part. That's why you yeah. said it was a big part. It was the part. Let's just all embrace the fact that it was the most important part. Not the of- part I cared the most about, but I understand where, you, where you're coming from. Right. And I got to share my bicycle story, which I'm sure you people did. are still, you know. Still repeating. Sure. They're telling yeah. their friends. Wait, I got to I got to tell you about this great story I heard about bicycle riding. Right. And I think there might be a parent or two of the dozens of listeners we have out there. There might be a parent or two going, you know what? I'm going to take the pedals off on my bike. And if you don't know what yeah. the heck we're talking about, go back to episode 35, which yeah. was a highlight. It was a highlight. Well, sure. every show is a highlight. So I right. don't know what that really means when you say it was a highlight, but... Well, it's the highlight of highlights. So there you go. Wow. Yeah, see what I did there? It's All right, so. Meta highlight. It is. Okay, so uh, new design principle or another design principle of the uh, several many that we have. Um, so if you're thinking about creating a learning space and you're thinking about uh, or hacking the space that you're in, we, we threw that term out last week, um, mm-hmm, hacking the space that you're in or advocating for space. Like, so if you're out there, advocating for how to use uh, learning management systems or advocating for what a, a classroom design should look like. Um, this, this design principle really should, you know, inform that or sort of help to, you know, give you some, I don't know, wind in your sail, I guess. Is that a, is that a, is that a metaphor? I just wind, used I, wind beneath my wings or something. Do you want something to, like that? There you go. Yeah. So uh, this is, you want to, you want to frame this? You want, you want to, I feel like I've been just chatting. Here. Well, that's so I can do the Cinco de Mayo searching. So oh, that's ahead. right. Yeah, go ahead. You you go ahead. I want to hear your framing of this. We'll take turns. I framed the last one. You get to frame this. All right. So the, the idea behind this one is that learning spaces should support 
multiple solutions and multiple representations. And so that there's a lot there. there. there there's a lot there. All right. Up. And so what we mean by multiple, okay, I guess it's pretty self-explanatory, like multiple solutions and multiple representations. We should unpack mm-hmm. that a little bit, but why is this important? Like, why is it important for us to, to have learning spaces do this? Mm-hmm. Like, I, I think that's the part of this design principle that from my point of view is the most critical part. Like, why is this important that we support this? Because mm-hmm. like, isn't there like just a representation? Isn't there just oh, a solution? Yes, there is. There I am throwing you the grapefruit. Yeah. No. Well, okay. A grapefruit. I thought it was a softball. Well, there, you know, you're mixing that, your metaphors. No, I mean, they're both spheres. I guess. Right. When, when, when you get like a pitch that is like one that you're going to hit out of there, it's called a grapefruit. Isn't that a, a metaphor in uh, baseball? I don't know, man. You're the baseball nerd, not me. I don't know. Anything All right. about baseball. I'm pretty sure it is. Okay. I'll, so now that we got you, that sorted out, you'll, you can Google grapefruit and I'll, and then we can, in our things that bring us joy, you can talk about grapefruit. I'll talk about Cinco de Mayo and we'll be all sorted out. All right. So, so here's the thing. Um, so let me, I'm going to take up one of these pieces uh, and then, and then you can run with wherever you want to go from there. So, so this idea of multiple solutions, I mean, for me, I'm going to talk about physical spaces because for me, this is where it came up first, right? So when I was working on, on the, on the innovation studio and thinking about a physical learning space and how do we design a physical learning space to be the best learning space that we can have. I mean, one of the things I was looking at is we want people to come to the space with their own tools, right? So we want students to bring their, their laptops, their tablets, their phones their And, and then we want to provide an environment where those things become useful tools for learning. So this idea of like, we don't want to have an environment where there's a bunch of computers in the room that are all locked down and, and, and not, I'm not saying there's not places where that should happen because I think there should be places on campus where students can access computers because sometimes there's equity issues around that, that it's important to have those things. But what I'm saying is, What's better is if we can have learning environments that allow for all of these different devices access to whatever the learning environment is and and whatever tools are in the space. So if you've got projection, you want all the tools to be able to access that projection. And you don't you whenever possible, you want to avoid using things that are super specialized, right? Because every time you use something that's super specialized, you've created a barrier for learning. And usually that barrier for learning has equity consequences. So I think thinking about learning spaces as designed for optimally bringing in as many people with as many tools uh, to do the job, um, I think, and, and this, you know, this came at least for me in, in, in response to a, a point where our university had a one-to-one model for, for some of its programs. So it was sure. requiring students to buy certain computers. Now in that case, it's sort of, at, once that's done, you've sort of leveled the playing field a little bit. There's less of this diversity in, in the ecosystem. But as we moved away from that one-to-one, then you start getting a lot of diversity. Like there's a lot of people who use their phone as their primary computing device. Yeah. And so if you have an environment where you can't present from your phone, then, then you have a problem. You've basically said, well, there's a class of students in this, in, in this class, 
that are not thanks that, um, in this classroom that don't have access. And there are others that do have access. And that is a fundamental equity problem. So this, this idea of like, what are, what are the tool sets and, um, and how do you make decisions about that in learning spaces? And that I'm talking about the physical and we can transition to the, to the digital too, because I don't think there's any, any yeah. difference in the fundamental At principle, no. right? That's the whole idea. Um, but I think this idea of, um, of how do you think about that? And then I, I'm, I want to let you chime in on this, but I do, there's another piece of that that I want to talk about, but, but that's no, so I, I think it's, I think it's great that you started with the equity piece because I think the equity piece is the part that, you know, we can come at this from a learning standpoint, right? Because people, you know, can present or, you know, show their learning in bunches of different ways. Right. And I think that is to me what, you know, when I read that or I hear that design principle, that that's the part I gravitate to first, but then the equity aspects or, and I guess this is a subset or, you know, a subset or a, you know, a parallel idea is accessibility, right? Is Mm -hmm. the idea of, so it's not just equity from the standpoint of, you know, a digital divide standpoint, but it's accessibility from, you know, we have lots of different ways of learning and lots of different ways that different abilities, right? So you might have a student, like I, I think back to my, I had a class with you, I think it was a class with you in which there was a student who was, who was blind and who, mm. and so we were working on curriculum together in your class. This is like 15 years ago or something. And he had a Braille laptop and which was wild to see. Right. But there are lots of learning environments in which a, uh, a Braille laptop would not be supported. Right. Mm-hmm. And so from an accessibility standpoint, you have to create learning environments that are accessible to all and to all the ways they present their you know, ideas, to all the ways they solve problems, to all the ways that people can come to and bring their ideas to bear on the conversations that we and the discourse that we try to create, whether it's a physical environment or a digital one. And which kind of leads me down the path of like universal design for learning, right? Which is, you know, a big thing. I think it's much bigger on at the higher ed level than it is at the K to 12, but I think it's going to come down that way. I think it's mm-hmm. going to, um, and it's something that I think that from a legal standpoint, we are sort of like a little bit more pushed in that way uh, to think about UDL, um, universal design for learning than I think the K to 12 is because they have, they have so many supports for that already at the K to 12. But um you know, at the higher ed level, you know, there's lots of conversations around UDL, which, you know, providing multiple means of representation, providing multiple means of action expression are built into the, the, the principles of UDL. So, mm-hmm. so I, I think that the equity standpoint is absolutely something. So we could take this, what's cool about this design principle is we can take it from three different perspectives that are all like intertwined, right? There's mm-hmm. learning, there's a learning piece and what we, you know, from our perspectives of learning uh, how that's represented in the design principle. But then we also have these other really important concepts of equity and accessibility that are inherent too. And I think that's the part about this design principle that I think is the most important. Yeah. And then, and I'll add one um, more uh, strand to that rope, right? Which is um, about what I think about as low barrier to entry or um, another version of that, which has to do with, um, was sort of lightweight solutions over heavyweight solutions. So one of the things that, again, this is more about physical space, but but it has dimensions in in um, online spaces. But 
when when you're designing new learning space, there's a there's a push initially to like put lots of stuff in there, right? Uh, and and that is because it's cool and new, and it's like, oh, let's put this touchscreen, this, and let's you know put this kind of um, table in there, and these kinds of um, you know computers or whatever. And um, so I think one of the things to think about in these spaces is for me. I, I always leaned into lightweight solutions, right? So why install a video conferencing system when everybody's got basically a video conferencing system on their laptop or their or their phone, right? So so this idea of like what what do we really need in the space physically to make the space? I, I hate to say flexible because that that sort of has become this right. yeah. overused term in learning spaces, but but I think you want something so that. So that the space is um, as close to a clean slate in some sense as possible, but also that it supports a huge variety of things. So it, it's 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 both sort of um, simple, but also uh, allows tremendous amounts of flexibility and access. So so I think that's this sort of balance. Um, and and rela- just real quick, God. so I explain barrier to entry, because I think that's a, a tricky term that people may not be familiar with. But basically, that means any tool that's in the, in the space, and again, this is online or physical, should be relatively easy to use for the learner, right? And, and that's the key piece of that phrase, right? Like, you want it to be easy for the teacher to, to use, too. That would be the ideal. But the, the most important ideal is that it's easy for the learner and intuitive and they can, you know, take up the tool very quickly and easily. That's what it, we talk about in low barrier to entry. Yeah. I think when, when you talk about the, uh, the, you know, uh, flexibility, we want to avoid that term. Right. But I think that yeah. one of the terms that I, I like when I think about this is um, being agnostic, having things that are agnostic and, and this isn't like from a religious standpoint, it's mm-hmm. um it's that it's not embedded in some sort of architecture that if you're not part of that architecture that you don't you can't access it. Mm. So that means if you're going to just like there's lots of tools that you know are are Windows PC only, right? Or they're only you know Mac. And I think trying to think of tools and 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 while I'm giving a digital aspect of that, I think there are you know other ways of thinking about that in physical terms too. Um, and so. We want to pick tools that are agnostic and not stuck in any sorts of architecture um, in which if you're not part of that architecture, you cannot be a participant. And that's the, cause all, all to, like right there, we, we create like a division um, with the haves and have nots, the people that are have a voice and don't have a voice. They're able to participate and not able to participate just by the selection of the tools and just by the creation of the learning environment. And yeah, I think uh, that, uh, go ahead. Yeah, and I think that when you talk about the that these low barriers of entry, they when we use the tools or use these things in our classroom, it should not be about teaching the tool as much. I mean, it's going to happen, but some of these the the selection of these things should be such that that the the barrier to entry is not impeding the actual learning that we want to happen around the content area, right? right Where they're right. they're investing so much time, energy in learning this thing, whatever yeah. this thing is. Right. And that happens a lot in, in online classes, right. Yes. Where we have, you know, online classes where, you know, they may be using some sorts of, you know, specialized tools to, to be able to, or here's the one thing that happens a lot is that 
they use so many tools, yes, right? This is the thing, right? They use so many tools. And this happened like, like right when we started with the pandemic is that um, we had, you know, we have a tool for this and we have a tool for this and we have a tool for this. And each one has their own login systems and there's no, mm. you know, transfer from place to place. And, and so it creates, it's a very high barrier, right? It's a right. high barrier for access, a high barrier for uh, success. And there's so much time and energy spent with that, that the learning is, you know, t- second in that yeah. list. And, no, I agree. And, and I like this term architecturally agnostic. I think that's, that's a nice way to think about it because it covers a lot of the territory there sure. of what we're, what we're talking about. Um, but what you're saying reminds me of like, you know, how it used to be in, I, I, I desperately hope this doesn't happen anymore. But like when I started in teaching undergraduate coursework, when I was at the University of Michigan, I, I one of my teaching responsibilities was an educational technology course. And when I got there, that meant you had a week on Microsoft Excel, and then you yes. had a week on like whatever the web page building software of, you know, DeJour was. And so you learned that. And then you learned, maybe you learned a little bit of, you know, whatever, some programming. Um, and it, it was, it was like, a you know, again, it's like this, this mishmash of tools and we're going to give people a bunch of these tools without having them have any sense of like, well, I'm building a house. It's like, well, here's a hammer and here's what hammers can do. Hammers can drive nails. And now, right. you know, someday you're going to have to, someday you're going to need this hammer, right? Right. And, exactly. And, you're going to need to drive some nails. And right. so this idea of like, uh, you know, teaching people a whole bunch of tools is the way to get them to use technology. It, I think it runs in the face of what you're talking about, which I think is a problem. And and this idea of like, everybody gets to pick their own tool. Every faculty member picks whatever, every teacher picks whatever. But the tension with that on the other side is this sort of uh, institutionalization of some tools over others. And then you're sort of in this place where the institution has chosen X and you have to use X because that's what the institution has chosen. And X doesn't do what you want it to do as an instructor. And so, so then you go out and seek these other tools and the institution says, well, wait, you can't do that. Like you can't have students signing up for accounts with this software company because they have to click through and, and, and have a legal agreement with that company. And you've told them they have to do that, which then puts the institution in a liability position that it doesn't want to be in. So there's all this complexity to how sure. you figure out that, that tool set. Well, it's, it's funny that you talk about the technology because I think that's the, uh, you know, that sort of laundry list of technologies is the way that, you know, in, and I think to a degree, that's still how it's being taught at some, at, at the collegiate level and also at the K to 12 level mm. is like, you know, uh, there's a 15 year old boy that I know in a, who lives oh. in our house who mm. currently has a, uh, a computer applications class and his project is he's working on PowerPoint. I know he's working on PowerPoint right now. And so he's got to create a 15 slide PowerPoint on a subject of his choice. And now he's a ninth grader and he, yeah, he is, he is, he's a ninth <laughs> grader. And I am pretty reasonably certain that he has uh, created a PowerPoint before ninth grade. Mm. I'm mm. pretty certain mm. that he has done this. In fact, he, uh, there's one he did in, I think in sixth grade on, uh, he and a, a, another student researched 
uh, marijuana for his yeah, uh, health I was, class. I was waiting for something <laughs> like that, right? When you say he's a ninth grader, like here's what his PowerPoint's about. It's about- right. He did a PowerPoint. Well, actually, his his PowerPoint now is on like a musician he likes. But then oh, he okay. had to research a you know uh, a, a drug for a health mm-hmm. class, and so he and a partner did this in either PowerPoint or in in Google or you know. Yeah. But but still, we're like. We're teaching it so removed from practice where it's just we're teaching these tools in isolation. And I think that's the, the, the challenge. I think maybe that's one of the parts about the, the, the design principle that is needs to be fleshed out a little bit more is that these, these solutions and these representations, they're, they're, they lead to tools, right? And that tool use should be embedded in the actual use, Right. And not yeah. be removed from use. Yeah. Right. Because this is, you know, the well, how we how we learn things. We don't learn things in absolute like in these isolation. And we're able to like magically transfer it like and say, oh, you know, you know, three years ago, I learned this thing. And now I can automatically just go pull that right. because we just don't learn stuff that way. You know, well, and the technology changes over three years. So oh, absolutely. Right. All yeah. right. But but I mean, d- the bigger point here, I think that you've brought up it, connects back to this, what we said two episodes ago when we introduced this section of the show, which is like all these things are intertwined. Like the reason that we're talking about this right now also is connected to this idea of authentic practice and scaffolding authentic practice. Like tools should be, and and again, this is the tension, right? So tools should be authentic to the thing that you're studying, but that makes, that makes things complicated, right? Because science does use different tools than English. Um, now, some of those tools overlap, and yeah, that's good, but um, but thinking about like how do you, again, balance these issues of barriers to entry, um, which are important things to consider with the idea that you do sometimes need specialized tools. So how do you, how do you have access to specialized tools um, in a way that, that doesn't cause significant problems in terms of, um, you know, the authentic practices? Are you asking or are you just framing that? No, I think I'm just framing that. Okay. Um, but, but I think, I think what I'm saying is that these two things are entangled, right? Absolutely. The, things that, the thing that we talked about last week about authentic practices and the thing that we're talking about this week, which has to do with um, the, the like, how do, you, how do you choose the solutions that you're going to use in your classroom? Yeah. And I, so I think that, you know, again, we have this habit of go, going esoteric, right? We do. And, and so I think one of the things I, I, I want to, I may maybe frame it from the, how I've incorporated this in, in the design of my classes. And now I, I teach undergrads and grads at the, at the college level. And one of the things that's pretty standard for me at some point in the course of the semester, I have them do some sort of a reflective project, right? Where I, I have them sort of capture their learning journey through the course of the semester because i want them to be able to you know sort of capture the things and and sort of communicate it in some way that makes sense to them and that's usually how i frame it like really open-ended and i say look i don't care how you submit this if you want to submit it as a paper that's fine or if you want to record a podcast, that's okay too. Or if you want to create a screencaster. And what I find out when I open it up like that is that I find that students have lots of different ways of communicating things that are important to them. And, and they also have lots of experience and expertise with things that I didn't know they had. 
And so opening it up like that, I get to see, like I had a kid this, this past fall, an undergrad, like I think he's a sophomore, who I gave this project to, to him and he created like a 10 page graphic novel. And I was like, That's that awesome. like, and, and so, you, you know, if you've been listening to us for a while, you know, we're comic book nerds, but like, mm. it was so cool to see. But if I would have said to the class, give me a graphic novel, then there would have been some students who go, I don't know how to do that. Or I'm going to spend so much time working on this graphic novel that it's like a huge barrier for me. However, opening up and saying, okay, I'm going to accept. And this was because we were doing it during the pandemic. So we were teaching it remotely. I said, whatever, whatever you're creating has to be, this was the only other expectation I did um, to sort of frame it was that I said, it's got to be viewable and accessible to everybody in the class. So we're going to put it, we're going to use the discussion board as sort of like a, like a, a, a learning forum, like a, you know, a, a place, you know, like sort of like a town hall where everybody can share their stuff so that we can see how other people have gathered their, you know, learning journey or represented their learning journey. Um, and so that we could all see this sort of like in a public square and, it was just awesome. Like, cause we had some students who created videos. We had some students who created, you know, these graphic novels. We had one kid who did a podcast. I had students who submitted sort of blogs and, you know, things like that, but it was just thinking about the, just making it available to them and making it open to them. But I also had to build trust to get them to, to say that I wasn't setting them up. Like I wasn't setting them up to like be, Hey, there is a, there's a correct answer. Guess what I'm thinking. This goes back to another, like, guess what, guess what I'm thinking, or guess what I really want. You know, I really want a paper, but I'm going to open this up like anything, but no, I was, I, it was awesome. It was really awesome. Yeah, that's cool. Well, and I think, you know, that goes back to this idea of multiple representations, right? Which right. we talked about, which is, yeah, it, it's critical that that the learning environment provide opportunities for that sort of thing. And, you know, again, it goes back to the equity issues, right? Like, and, and again, I feel like every time I say something, I have to say, well, there's a tension there, right? So right. it's like, yeah, it's great that you can have a kid put in a graphic novel as, as an assignment. Um, the tension is that you also want to push kids to, to use media that they're not comfortable with. Cause that's how you, how you get them to learn. Right. So there's right. this tension, like you don't want them always to be able to do the thing that they're most comfortable at. Sure. You want to provide opportunities for them to do that, which we don't in schools. Typically we, we typically provide opportunities for only one kind of kid to be comfortable in the kind of assignments that we ask for. Um, but, but this idea of like, yeah, you want to both push students and provide them opportunities to be comfortable and safe um, because that's what learning is, is that is a, an environment where you feel safe, but you're also being pushed into new areas to do new things and to try new things and to get better at stuff that you're good at. So all those. So this idea of multiple representations becomes really important because sometimes you need to enforce that everybody has to do a graphic novel and they're going to say, oh, but but you want a principled choice about that, right? You don't want to say that because like, oh, this new piece of software came out and it does comic books. So I'm going to use that piece right. of software, right? Like you want to have a, a justified reason for why a graphic novel is the re, the purpose or or is driven by an authentic need in this activity to do that kind of thing. Um, but that said opening it up and letting kids do something they're comfortable with is a powerful way of instilling confidence and trust. As long as you do what you just described, Ali, which is you treat it with, with delicacy, right? Which is to say, if kids 
turn things in. You don't say, well, that's nice, but it's a graphic novel and that's a B minus, right. even though it, it, you know, so it's, it's this whole like assessment thing gets tricky. It I, does like get tricky. I want to put a, a pin in a discussion at some point. We've got to talk about rubrics, but that's for another day. Oh, that is absolutely for another day about the love and hate relationship I have with rubrics, but we'll put, we'll put that pin in yeah. but then the show notes that will are, are our planning document that we'll come back to that. Yes. But I, but I, I think that what you said about this, uh, I think comes down to risk-taking for students, right? Um, like, and they have to recognize that the risk is worth it. If we were putting, making things open-ended for them um, so that they can maybe choose something um, that they're not comfortable with. Uh, some of it's modeling on our, our, our behalf. We have to like be as open to trying new things as teachers and recognizing that if we're if we come in every day and just doing you know PowerPoint, you know, and doing the death march through content, right? With um, fun sauce, don't with fun sauce. All right, but if we're doing that, then what we're we're modeling is that there's a there's one way of of this transaction happening, right? That and that way the way we learn is is through PowerPoint, and so we've privileged that as as the representation, and. And if we are willing to be risk takers, uh, we can model that for our students. And we can say that this is a forum where, you know, lots of different representations. And so that means as, as teachers, as designers, that we have to bring other things to bear to our classroom. Like that might mean assigning a podcast. That might mean doing a video. That might mean doing some other ways of having kids learn and access and information and also having them do stuff with that right if it's just like having them fill out like a 10 question worksheet then that is privileging that as a representation right yeah but what that made me think about as you were talking about that is um to what degree do we model that right and i because that's what may, what you made me think of, right? Which is so. In what? How often do we uh, pass out a graphic novel as a way of giving students access to information? Like, or how often do we do a podcast of ourselves about something? And you know, I know flip classroom stuff. They sort of do this. Like, I'm going to take a video of myself. But my right. sense is that's like I'm going to give a lecture on a video so I can. And that's another thing that's on our list to talk about flip classroom. So I'm not going to go down that road. Sure. But I think this idea of like, also as teachers, how much are we modeling the fact that the only way to be serious about science is through lab reports, right? That's, that's how you do serious science or, you know, lectures or problem sets. Like how often are we producing those multiple representations for kids to see that there are different ways that you can represent science or, or art or English or math or whatever in ways that are not just the ways that school has decided is the one way to do it. Um, so I think that's important too, is, is, and it's something, you know, until you said that, and I was thinking about it, that, that I don't think we do, like I, I do assign things in my classes, like podcasts, um, and even graphic novels in, in, in some cases, but I don't think I ever present information that I present to students other than those kinds of assignments as that. So I don't know, just made me think about that. Well, I think these, these, these things are useful in a day to day, but also aspirational, right? I mean, they should, they shouldn't be things that like we go, Oh, I do that. 
I think if, if we're going to create something that is an offer, something that is useful, they should also be aspirational. They should also help us want to do better. Right. And I think that's when we look at this design principle and we go, okay, you know, am, am I supporting this in my classroom, not just by through the activities that I do with my students, but through the practice that I do as well as the teacher, and I think that's where the aspirational nature of some of these things are going to come through. And I think that's where the power will be in, in helping people look for opportunities to improve their practice, improve their design of their, their uh, classroom environments. Yeah, yeah, I agree. So I think, yeah. I, think, I think now is the time when we have to transition. I'm going to let that be the last word. Sure. Wow. Look at that. Me. I got the last word. Wow. And then, well, it's all good. I. <laughs> Yeah. So, uh, jo- Joyce, you you want to go? You want to go first? Uh, I want you to go because uh, I'm I'm thinking about something that I'm I'm going to see if I can track down, and if I sure. can, then I'm going to talk about it. So, I have to say that, like, I my wife and I have been working through like all of the Oscar nominated movies, and so by the time this comes out, uh, this will be like you know like maybe a week after the Oscar nominations, uh, the actual Oscar awards, Academy Awards have been announced. So. Uh, we just watched Nomadland recently. Um, so good. So it good. is so good. It is, it is, what is great about Nomadland, so this is the um, movie starring Frances McDormand, and she's like the only real actress of, of note in there. There's another one that you may rep- re- recognize, like a, a, a male actor. I can't think of his name offhand, but um, he's been in some stuff. But uh, everyone else seems to be just like people who are nomads themselves. They're like, like just like everyday people who were brought into the fray. Um, as I have some friends who used to live next door to me who uh, sold their house and bought a van. And so they're do, sort of doing this, this nomad thing. And to see sort of a, a glimpse of what that world looks like um, was really interesting. And Frances McDormand, she did a great job. I, I think that, you know, she's definitely in the conversation for, you know, uh, best actress because of the performance in this. Um, but overall, the movie, what's cool about it is that besides being beautiful, it's a beautiful movie. Like it is like you get to see America, uh, like the the best parts, the most beautiful parts of America. But you also get to see like some of the worst parts about America too, in terms of like how, um, what leads to this, like what what leads to this sort of, you know, checking out and, and, you know, getting a van and and traveling the world or traveling America that way. Um, But I think that besides it's, it's, it's beauty or the contrast of, of America. um, I, I think that the way the story is told or way the narrative is told is sort of itself like a journey, right? Cause you're like on this, like, and if you've ever been on a road trip, you know, the, you know, how that feels and this sort of reflects that. And that's, a, I think a cool way of telling a story. So Nomadland, check it, check that out. Yeah. It was awesome. Yeah. We, we we're doing a similar thing, Christine and I. So, uh, so I, I hear you with this, uh, trying to catch up with all the Oscar nominated films. So. Yeah. So that was Sound of Metal. You recommended Sound of Metal as well, right? Yeah. Yeah. So that's, that was last yeah. week. Yeah. So, uh, yeah. Um, so, yeah, we, we did watch Nomadland and it was amazing. Um, so I, I, I was looking for this graphic novel that I was going to recommend that isn't, isn't recently brought me joy, but did bring me joy in the fall. So I was going to mention it, but I can't find it 
uh, right off the top of my head. So I will save that for another day. So what I'll recommend uh, today that's bringing me joy is the book I'm reading, um, which is called Wooden Boats by Michael Ruhlman. And Michael Ruhlman is one of these guys who, um, who writes books about craft, I guess I would say, broadly speaking, but he does it by going and sort of engaging in that thing. So his probably more famous books are about being a chef. So Soul of a Chef um, was the first one. And, um, and he had a series about it, but he went to the Culinary Institute and trained as a chef and then went and worked in restaurants and wrote a book about it. <clears throat> but this book is about um, is about boat building, wooden boat building, and it's a wooden boat building um, on Martha's Vineyard, and it's these two guys building this schooner um, that is may, maybe one of the the last, or certainly one of the the few, if any, big schooners being built, uh, a wooden schooners being built, um, and how how this progress happens, and talking with these guys. And it's, I mean, <clears throat> I like books about craft uh, because I think of teaching as a craft. Yeah. Um, and I like seeing people who are really passionate and thoughtful and articulate about their craft, because I almost always see connections between that and teaching. Um, and there's a beautiful passage um, that, um, thanks to Ali, I'm starting to try and blog a little more. So, nice. so I'm working on a blog post about uh, which is just this paragraph of of this one guy Nat, who's one of the two guy, the main stars of the book, right? Um, talking about boat building as a process, and for me, it's so um, it it exemplifies lots of things, but it exemplifies for me most good teaching because that's what I think about when I think about this, and just understanding that craftsmen have to understand their materials deeply. And understand that their materials are never the same um, twice. And so being responsive to, to the, those materials. And he also talks about like, you know, you, a boat has no, you know, uh, 90 degree angles. You can't like a house, you can just have lumber dropped off and you just nail the thing together with a boat. Every piece has to be crafted relative to the other pieces because they all have to fit together seamlessly. And this idea of like thinking about a classroom like that is sort of beautiful for me. This idea of like yeah. every, like every kid is their own person and you can't treat them like lumber that's pre-cut. You have to really work with them as a group to craft this boat that is your community. And so, um, so I've, re I, I've, this is one of these books that I reread sort of like the, when I talk about running, um, and, uh, it's, it's always inspirational to me because it's just like people who are good at what they do and then talk about yeah. it in really thoughtful ways always blows me away. So wooden boats, it has a colon and a bunch of stuff after that. I can't remember exactly, but that's the key bit of it. And Michael Ruhlman. Yeah. The cool thing about that is like, I, I do that myself. Whenever I read something, whenever I watch a movie, whenever I see teaching in it, like it's like every, it's the lens I see. Avoid it, right? right. It's just cause we're, that's that it's so embedded in who we are, right. That it, it impacts how we see, right. And how we think and how we live. And, and so, so somebody could be talking about like shipbuilding and I go, Oh, that's a metaphor for teaching or, Hey, that's a, yeah. that, yeah. So yeah, it's cool. Yeah. Awesome. Well, all right. Another fun week with you, Scott, another fun episode. Right um, back at you. Yeah. And yeah. I guess, I guess we'll all see you next time in between. See you then. Bye now. <laughs>